KYW Original Podcasts. This is KYW In-Depth. I'm Charlotte Reese. Almost everything in our lives has revolved around the coronavirus this year, as the outbreak turned into a pandemic and the Philadelphia area went on lockdown in mid-March. But what have other diseases been up to while we've been concentrating on COVID-19? And what about all those missed doctor's appointments while we were sheltering in place? Dr. Val Amorosa is an infectious disease physician at Penn Medicine. I reached out to her to ask if our single-minded focus on COVID-19 has changed anything about our relationship to other diseases. So just to start off, can you introduce yourself and tell me what you do? Yeah, I'm. Uh, my name is Valerie Amorosa. I'm an infectious disease physician and I work at University of Pennsylvania and at the VA hospital. And I'm also the medical director of Penn Home Infusion Therapy. And I work with Penn Medicine at home and varying infectious disease related capacities. Since the coronavirus outbreak became a pandemic, people have been staying at home, not going to work. And sort of as a consequence of being in lockdown, people are skipping doctor's appointments too. Is there a concern that we might be setting ourselves up for a host of different issues because we're not getting well checkups or postponing vaccinations or whatever it may be? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And, you know, I'm definitely not probably like a world expert on answering, you know, really the opportunity costs of having to sort of pay attention to this um, pandemic. I think really the question's going to be, if we can appropriately ramp up a catch up. Do you know what I mean? Because I think that certainly in terms of vaccines, like other than like our seasonal flu vaccine, most of the vaccines, you know, they protect people over a really long period of time. And so in an individual person, if you're vaccinated three months late or six months later than you were going to be vaccinated, it's really unlikely to matter because as long as you sort of catch up and get it. So, you know, the question is, is the things from a preventative point of view that are being delayed right now, either on the patient side or the provider side, you know, will we be able to be attentive enough to catch up with that once, um, you know, things open up again in a way that people can you know, get their shots in the preventative care. And if we do, you know, from that point of view, I, I would hope that there would not be, you know, a major downstream consequence, particularly in terms of, you know, vaccine preventable diseases in in adults and in children, of course. Is there any maybe one big concern that you're looking at? You know, in the United States, we don't have serious problems with smallpox or things like that. But Are we seeing or do you think we could see any serious issues crop up in the future? So from an infectious disease, sort of vaccine preventable disease viewpoint, I would hope not. I mean, honestly, I guess the only fear would be if once the healthcare system feels comfortable fully accommodating everyone to come back for their shots. And that's certainly starting to happen. I mean, it's starting to happen in our clinics and our hospitals, certainly in the like, uh, you know, the retail pharmacies who do a lot of injections. I mean, I think they're all ready to go. And so really the fear would be 
if on the patient side, they didn't want to come in for, you know, sort of preventative vaccines. Because I think that if people come in for the shots a couple months late, if the, you know, particularly if parents bring their children in for their, you know, vaccines and they can catch up if they're a little bit off schedule, then I would hope that that we wouldn't have some unforeseen outbreak. I mean, that you know, the big vaccine preventable things that we were worried about prior to all this COVID was, um, you know, measles and, and mumps to some extent. And hopefully, as long as kids can be brought in to sort of catch up with any shot they might have been delayed with, um, hopefully that would not be an issue. And, you know, the adult vaccines, um, you can get them late and they're still going to, um, you know, hopefully provide the years of protection that they're intended to provide. Mm-hmm. So a couple months of, you know, missed appointments isn't going to mean much, too much then here in the U.S.? It should not. I mean, in an average time where we, you know, we don't have tons of these, um, you know, for instance, measles circulating, um, a couple months late really shouldn't lead to some major outbreak. Um, you know, anything's possible, but I seriously doubt that would happen. Mm-hmm. Layered on it is um, you know, the infections that vaccines prevent that are communicable via droplet or aerosol with all of this social distancing stuff and masks and everything. Um, hopefully that sort of provides an added degree of protection against those other um, transmissible diseases, too. You know, I've even heard some people say that, you know, we've been in isolation so long, we may be more susceptible to diseases just because our immune systems aren't used to it? You know, I think that's like not giving our immune systems enough credit. I mean, I think um, it's not like we're like sitting in bubbles, you know, we're still sort of being exposed to various things. I think probably, yeah, we're getting less respiratory viruses this spring just because we're being so careful to prevent acquisition of COVID. But I don't think that that's going to sort of do us in from an immunologic perspective. I think our immune systems should remain, you know, hardy in terms of being able to, you know, match any virus that we that hits it later on. I can't imagine this would sort of, you know, make us unable to fight off things. Mm -hmm. Have you been looking at a broader view? I was reading about some really dire things that are happening in countries like a possible resurgence of polio and things like that because all the medical resources are going towards coronavirus. Is there international concern about health effects from this pandemic? I mean, that's a really good question. And I definitely think that, um, you know, diverting both financial resources and certainly manpower towards um, dealing with both the clinical care involved in COVID and the public health piece of it with trying to quarantine people and, and contact tracing and all that certainly is diverting from routine public health, you know, things that the public health department focuses on all the time. And if, you know, if there is, you know, major outbreaks going on of other things, yes, diverting attention to COVID is is a potential concern. I mean, we're very lucky here, Uh, you know, this sort of coincided with the end of the flu season. And then I think that doing all of the masking and social distancing sort of precipitously led to flu going away here. Um, But yeah, I mean, certainly where there's limited resources, I would worry about 
diverting, you know, it's really attention and, and those resources away from where they're sort of sorely needed to deal with the, the pieces related to COVID. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about how you think the U.S. has been doing at mitigating the spread of coronavirus in this time we're in now, between the start of the pandemic and whenever we get a vaccine. Hundreds of thousands of people have died from COVID-19, but can you compare that to other pandemics in history and help us get some perspective? What has happened in that time frame for other diseases before there was a cure or a vaccine? You know, in terms of, I find many things fairly remarkable in a positive way as to how we've dealt with this. I mean, I think when I think back to March and these discussions about, um, you know, we're not going to have enough ventilators, we're going to have to all, you know, not all of us, but whoever is going to have to decide who gets ventilators and who doesn't. I found that very terrifying. And I'm very, very grateful that in our region, it just never came to that. We were able to provide like, you know, the utmost high level of care to everyone who came in and needed it. And just seeing towards the end of April into May, really seeing things level off and still, you know, there were plenty of cases and obviously we're still seeing cases now, but, you know, sort of finally having that realization that this is not going to overwhelm our ability to care for patients was a tremendous relief. And so why did that happen? I mean, it seems to have happened because of the precautions that were put in place from a public health point of view. So, you know, the masking, there's no doubt about it that, and I don't no idea why it's become political, but, you know, masking, wearing masks um, is very, very effective in preventing spread of infection. And uh, certainly the social distancing, remaining sort of six feet away from other people as much as possible, limiting large group settings and sort of maintaining close cohorting of people within the household, all of these things probably really did have a genuine impact in really sort of slowing the uptick in cases and then now the decline in cases in our region. So, you know, all spring we didn't have sports and all these sort of group activities and church and all these other things that probably would have led to many, many, many more infections and a real sort of escalation in our incident cases. You know, so I think locally, I feel like we had a success in really sort of, you know, flattening that curve, as everyone likes to say. Um, And, you know, everyone compares this to to the 1918 flu pandemic where, um, you know, there really was a huge uptick in cases in Philadelphia that did overwhelm the health system and led to tons of people dying. And so, you know, comparatively, (laughs) I think we did a great job, uh, you know, not me, but the sort of system and, and everyone sort of contributing to trying to Um, limit spread of infection. And that's interesting that you say, you know, talking about how the efforts to stop coronavirus may have affected other normal illnesses or regular illnesses that we see. So is is what we were doing with masks and stuff kind of helpful for other regular diseases? Yeah, that's such a great question. I would say yes. I mean, you know, from a respiratory infection viewpoint, prior to COVID, there's data that, you know, wearing masks prevents acquisition of droplet transmitted infections. And so we 
have sort of accepted that every flu season there's tons of the flu and, and um, you know, we haven't done anything so dramatic or draconian on a societal level, um, certainly like since, you know, pandemic periods to mitigate. But by doing all of these things for COVID, I think probably very much so. Um, certainly we saw flu go away very rapidly and we've not seen a ton of other respiratory infections since, uh, you know, floating around since March, very few. So probably has had a, an impact, certainly. And, it, and theoretically, it should. Right. That makes sense. I, I haven't even thought of it like that. That totally makes sense. Um, and, you know, right now in Philadelphia, we're kind of looking at the light at the end of the tunnel for businesses to start opening back up pretty soon. I think they're saying beginning yeah. of July now. But before there's a vaccine out there, doctors are saying that we're still not going to be out of the woods, even if we can go back to work or out to dinner. Do you think there is still reason to be concerned about going out in public? Is there a place you think where people should draw the line? You know, I definitely feel like I um, sort of grapple with this on a daily basis. And I don't know that anyone sort of is a, you know, like future reader and, and can know exactly. But we certainly have a lot more information now than we had a few months ago as to what are like the highest risk settings and the highest risk activities. And, you know, there's like a lot of things um, that got like a lot of, you know, popular press about, um, you know, an outbreak in uh, Washington state after like a choir group was singing. And so, you know, we can sort of extrapolate that small groups of people singing together is probably like a very high risk situation, such as, you know, um, congregating in a church service and this sort of thing. And so, you know, what to say that, like, oh, people ought not do that until there's a vaccine seems very draconian. When we do know that there's ways to, you know, do these activities that can mitigate risk. And so, you know, probably we should not have, like, large gatherings of people, but rather, you know, relatively smaller gatherings of people such that the people can be spread out and ideally be wearing masks during those activities. So, you know, I'm like a big proponent of masks. I even sort of like goggles too, although I don't think that that's sort of caught on in the public imagination to be wearing goggles at all times, but you can get this through your eyes. Although the mask, you know, is, is sort of the most effective thing. And um, so, yeah, you know, communal eating is probably not ideal. So like a big barbecue is probably not something we ought to do this summer because, you can't wear masks when you're sort of, you know, sharing food together. And if there's one person there infected and chatting, um, you know, that's going to put a lot of people at risk. Um, I'm not going to say that people can't eat together. I think that's sort of a little much. But, um, you know, certainly people eating together and spreading out and ideally doing as much as possible outside compared to inside. This way you can spread out and things are well aerated. Um, and then doing sort of good, you know, hand hygiene, like either hand sanitizer or washing hands and like sort of most importantly, not touching eyes, nose and mouth. Like these are the things that I like spout constantly all day long are the things that can mitigate the risk in any circumstance. But, you know, everything is sort of about balancing the pluses and the minuses. I mean, for some people, missing out on certain activities is so, um, you know, devastating that. Um, you really want to allow them to do those activities, but like trying to do it in the most safe way possible, like acknowledging that, um, you know, there is something still around to worry about a little bit, I think is important. 
Thank you so much for joining me today and talking about this. Oh, my pleasure. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic here in the Philadelphia area or how it's affecting you, subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. Search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Charlotte Reese, and we'll have another episode out soon.